All right. Well, it's good for us to be together here in worship here this morning. Uh, if you're newer with us, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And um, greetings to both you here in the West as well in the East Auditorium and our friends in Lovington. And in all locations, I would invite you to turn to the book of Jude today. And Jude, you'll find, is a, it's the second to last book in the Bible. So the last book's Revelation. Um, go back one and you will find Jude. And uh, as you turn there... Um, I've shared from this platform uh, a number of times my, you could say, the abbreviated version of my story of coming to faith and ministry, which pretty much goes like this. I didn't grow up going to church, came to Christ as a freshman in high school, went into ministry, and lived happily ever after. Um, which is more or less a part of it. But in all fairness, there's actually a chapter in the middle of that story, about two years into my journey, that uh, in my junior year in high school, that I started playing uh, drums with a band, which led to an entirely new group of friends, which, uh, without getting into all of it, led to uh, some behaviors and some things that weren't necessarily good for me. And I remember in that season of life, in that chapter, being at the same time in a, uh, a Bible study and kind of the, the, the challenges with that. And I remember our youth leader saying this statement. He said, you know, when it comes to sin, we sin because of a lack of faith in God. We sin because of lack of faith in God. His name was Dave Berlin. I'll never forget that statement because I remember thinking like, really? Like, do we really sin because of a lack of faith in God? And so what do you think about that? Do you think, you know, do we sin as a result of a lacking faith in God? Well, Today, as we uh, dig into the book of Jude, uh, it helps us discern, you could say, the accuracy of my youth leader's claim as, uh, as we start the study through the book of Jude. And so Jude, uh, it's a very interesting book in that it's the only book of the Bible that's one chapter long. And so uh, I'm always confused when people say to turn to something in Jude because you don't say, apparently, turn to Jude chapter 1, verse 14. You just say uh, straight to the verse. You say, turn to Jude 14. And I'm like, it, it always throws me off because I'm always like, it's like, hey, let's meet uh, in December at two o'clock. It's like, there's something not right. There's something not all adding up in that statement. So that's how Jude works. And so we're going to work through this one chapter short book. Uh, book. Uh, we're going to break it up over three weeks, three parts. And just a little bit about Jude um, as the author. He was actually one of the brothers of Jesus who took up the ministry of Jesus, of following Jesus' ascension into heaven. And the book of Jude, as we call it, was actually originally a letter. It was a letter written to be circulated among churches with a specific purpose to warn these churches against false teachers, as it says in verse 4, who have secretly slipped in among the church. And so that's the purpose of the letter. And so let's dig into that letter to the churches, and that's the letter to us as the church. So follow with me uh, in Jude 1, starting in Jude 1. Okay. Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and a brother of James, who was also a brother of Jesus. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Okay, in other words, this letter is written to the church. It's written to those, who are the true church, who is identified as ones who have been called, loved, and kept. Uh, that word kept in the Greek literally means reserved, like you're on reserve for Christ Jesus alone. 
Or really, it's kind of evidence of the song that we just sang here a little bit ago, that he is writing to the people who could proclaim as we sang, I am who you say I am. I am a child of God. I am chosen. Uh, Yes, I am. So he is writing to those who can proclaim that, and he's writing to them to warn those, uh, to warn the church against those who would try to undermine that. And so Jude goes on, he says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And then, because here's the warning, verse three. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled, compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And so Jude in his opening remarks, he's saying, you know, I really want to preach to you and talk to you and write to you about X but I really need to talk to you about why. I, mean, I really want to preach to you and talk to you about the sweet stuff, about the rainbows and the butterflies and the salvation we share, but because it's not all rainbows and butterflies, Jude writes, I am compelled. I am compelled and urge you to contend, he says. And that word contend, it literally means to athletically compete, to fight. And so Jude is saying, you're gonna have to get after it, church. You're gonna have to fight for this. You're gonna have to fight for what I'm getting ready to talk to you about. Um, And so he says, contend and fight for this faith that it's a faith that's once for all in Jesus Christ entrusted to you as God's holy people. Okay, and then starting in verse four, he gets into what this fight is for. Verse four, it says, or Jude says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, okay, this is those who are not kept in Jesus Christ, either because of their rejection of him uh, and his ways. It says that these individuals have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign, or other translations there say master, our only sovereign, master, and Lord. In other words, these ungodly people uh, have wrong beliefs about God, quote, perverting the grace of God, which then these, these beliefs lead to ungodly behaviors, which is, quote, a license for immorality, and all of it, beliefs and behaviors that, quote, deny Jesus Christ as sovereign and Lord. And so at the same period of time that Jude is writing his letter to be circulated among churches, Peter, the apostle Peter, is also writing letters to the church, warning them against the same thing. The apostle Peter says it this way. He says, there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. And what's interesting in the words of Peter is we come across this word, this word that has been used throughout the history of the church to really point out uh, ungodly belief and ungodly behavior uh, understood simply as heresy. He says there's gonna be heresies among you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first hear that word heresy, to me it's like heresy. Like, isn't that something like from like, like, the Middle Ages that people got like burned at the stake for? I mean, like, do we really still have heresies? Well, as long as we have people who claim to belong to God, yet their belief and their behavior run completely contrary to that statement, well then, yes, we will have heresy. 
And so the first thing we have to, re- uh, to realize in the words of Peter that are words that still apply today, that heresy exists. That yes, heresy still exists. And so to help us with that, here's a working definition of what heresy is. Heresy is, you could say, a view or a commitment to ultimate reality, which is wrong and therefore bad for you, okay? Heresy is a view and a commitment to ultimate reality, ultimate things that is wrong and therefore bad for you. Um, and so I guess what you could say what it's not, this is bigger than just having like a false or a wrong view on just something. Uh, for example, let's say that you and I decided we were gonna grab lunch and I'm like, hey, let's grab some Kreckles burgers. And you're like, ew, Kreckles burgers are gross. You are clearly wrong. Okay? You, yeah. <laughs> there was an amen if you couldn't hear it in the other rooms. And so yes, Having that view is not a view of ultimate consequence. I mean, it's super sad, but it is not an ultimate consequence. Or say maybe in the midst of planning a vacation or something with your spouse or some friends, and you're like, hey, let's go to Arizona. And you know, your spouse, or your friends are like, Arizona? The weather is always bad in Arizona. Okay, clearly wrong, but not of ultimate consequence, not of ultimate uh, conclusion of consequence. And so, what we need to understand is that heresy, on the other hand, is an ultimate thing, a view on an ultimate thing, an ultimate reality that is wrong and therefore has eternal consequence for you. And so an example of a heresy would be to conclude, uh, for example, that Jesus is not the Son of God. To conclude that he is not God in the flesh who came and lived and died uh, for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of a new life both here and forevermore. That to believe some lesser thing, such as, well, Jesus, he was a good teacher, but in the end, he was just a mere man, well, that would be heresy. That would be a view and a commitment to an ultimate reality, which is wrong and therefore bad for you. And so, yes, heresy exists, but also recognize it's not always that obvious, And as we see in these passages from Peter and Jude, heresy, the way it shows up is that heresy, it deceives. Heresy deceives, Uh, meaning it doesn't show up, generally speaking, with like a giant red caution label, like caution, heresy inside, caution, ultimate views of things that are wrong and therefore bad for you. Uh, No, it slips in among you, it says in Jude. Peter says it will secretly be introduced, destructive heresies, okay? And so to reject Jesus, you know, is not the son of God, to outright reject, you know, he is not, you know, Lord and Savior, just to reject Jesus, that would be obvious. That would be caution, you know, heresy inside. Uh, but the way that it secretly slips in among you, um, well, for maybe some of you here today, maybe you would say, I haven't rejected Jesus. You would not say, I reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's obvious. But in fairness, you might say, the jury is still out for you on Jesus. The jury is still out. Um, That some of you here today would functionally land on and say something to the effect of, you know, it seems like a good idea to be in church versus maybe not be in church. Uh, And so, you know, I'm here when I can be. Uh, Or, you know, it seems like a good idea to get my kids in church so that they would get some of these values and some things for their life. That seems like a good idea. Uh, But for me, you know, I don't, 
honestly really know what I believe. I don't know what I believe about Jesus and God and all of that. To which, as your pastor, I would respond, okay, well, how long have you not really known what you believe about Jesus, God, and the whole bit? And if your response was something to the effect of, I don't know, maybe like the last 10 years or so, well, then what you're telling me is, what you are actually saying is that it doesn't ultimately matter what it is you believe about God, Jesus, and the whole bit. That, that it is not essential, that it is not critical that you know that you've concluded that your indifference, your indifference toward ultimate reality about Jesus, God, and the whole bit is not wrong or therefore ultimately bad for you. And I would caution you. I would caution you from the word of God in response to ultimate truth as revealed in God's authority to us that this indifference, this not to choose is actually to have made your choice. To not to choose is to choose, is to functionally to choose, Jude 4, to deny Jesus Christ. By not accepting, you are denying Jesus Christ as the only sovereign and Lord. Uh, you have indifferently allowed, 2 Peter 2, 1, destructive heresy into your life, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought you with his blood. And so while it might feel like you're playing it safe and kind of hedging your bets uh, with this kind of, you know, not really sure what I do believe and don't believe, Jesus, God, the whole bit, make no mistake, for all of us, we believe something. What you believe about God might be good, it might be bad, or as painted, it might be indifferent, but make no mistake, it is not inconsequential. It is not without consequence. And so as we read that and we see this, it's like, honestly, as the guy up here, I kind of want to, I kind of can relate to Jude. As he says in Jude 3, he's like, hey, I'm eager to talk with you all about the salvation we share. Like, I really want to talk about the good stuff. But as Jude states, he says, I am compelled. I am compelled to urge you to contend for the faith that has come once and for all in Christ Jesus. And so Jude communicates this, and now I have the responsibility as the one bringing God's word as penned by Jude to you to warn you all the same, to warn you, to warn you against any lesser view, to warn you against a heresy, to warn you against falling into a view and a commitment of ultimate reality that is wrong and then ultimately, therefore, bad for you. Because, yes, heresy exists, it deceives, and from there, once it is settled in, heresy, it destroys. Heresy destroys. Second Peter 2, 1, uh, again, and goes on. It says, there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. And it says, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. It's interesting. The book of Jude has 624 words in it. I did not count them. I did copy and paste into Word, which does the job for you. And <laughs> verses five through 15, more than half the book, 316 of those words are devoted to example after example, real life case studies of people who throughout history destroyed both their lives in this life and the next. Destroyed their lives by incorrectly believing and then out of the overflow of those beliefs, good, bad, or indifferent, 
or in this case, bad or indifferent, subsequently behaved and acted out those beliefs in their lives. And so we're not gonna go through all of them, but to name a few, uh, jump in at verse five. Again, Jude's writing to the church. So he's saying, as the church, you already know all of this, but I wanna remind you of this, that remember the story of the Lord who one time delivered his people out of Egypt? You know, Moses, let my people go. But later, destroyed those who did not believe. Verse seven, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And then one more painting of these people, uh, verse 16 of these, of these that have slipped in. Uh, verse 16 says, these people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires and they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. And so what we see in those verses and all the ones in between is example after example of really this inseparable relationship between what they believed, whether bad or indifferently, uh, really informed, in this case, for better or for worse, for worse, how they behaved and how they lived out their actual lives in these sinful ways. And so to my youth leader's point, he correctly stated in the for worse scenario that we sin because of lack of faith, that we make destructive choices based on a destructive belief, that we sin because of a lack of faith in God and his will and ways. That's what we have to see, that these are not able to be separated, that what you decide to do in your life or decide not to do when it comes to your time, your money, your body, your sexuality, your words, it is all an overflow and comes back to, for better or for worse, whatever it is you place your faith in, whatever you believe in. And so for the worst side of it, for example, if you, if you flippantly and intentionally choose to have sex with somebody who you are not married to you and yet claim that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the leader of your life, well, then that is incompatible because you are not functionally putting your faith in the will and the ways of God. If you aim in your life, if your aim is to accrue and to hoard as much wealth as possible and not be generous, and yet state that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the leader of your life, well then that is incompatible because you do not have your functional faith in the will and the ways of God. If you lie, cheat, steal, or gossip, or manipulate to get your wants, to get your own will and ways, and you say that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, that's incompatible because you are showing that your functional faith is in your own will and ways rather than in the will and the ways of God. And so we see we do sin because of a lack of faith, a lack of faith in God's will and ways. And Jude, he warns us, he exposes this incompatibility that can take place when we have this indifference, this indifference that I want to expose as what might feel like a safe play. And I get why it feels like a safe play, to be kind of like on the fence about it. Because when you think about the alternatives, you know, to say, I reject Jesus, well, that seems like a bad idea to just outright reject Jesus, you know, whatever. But on the flip side, you know, the idea of going all in, to going all in and following Jesus in every area of my life, well, that seems a bit extreme, a bit radical. And hint, it's designed to be. 
But to ride the fence, to sandbag, to delay, to hem and to haw, to be lukewarm, as it says in Revelation. He says, I'd rather be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm in, in Revelation. He says, it makes you want me to, God says, it makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. To be lukewarm, to choose not to choose is to allow yourself to sit in this space where maybe you feel good about showing up to church or whatever, but you are still the functional Lord and leader of your own life. And you, as it says in Jude 3, you pervert the grace of God that way by turning it into a license for immorality to deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign Lord by being your own sovereign and Lord. Who's feeling good about now? Yeah, this, uh, this was a super fun one to write um, this week. Uh, yeah, but hear this and, and be encouraged that in the midst of this passage that Jude's ultimate goal is actually, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, it's actually to be an encouragement to you the church. It's meant to be an encouragement. So here's how he does this. A little sneak preview, jumping down to verse 20 and 21. We're going to look at these in the next couple of weeks, uh, the, the flip side of this. Um, you could say that Jude, it's kind of like a heresy sandwich. Uh, you got heresy all in the middle, but then it's on hope bread. A heresy sandwich on hope bread. So he starts with hope and he concludes with hope. And here's how he does it in verse 20 and 21. He says, but you dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life, okay? And so he, you can see this bookend because he started, Judah, he started the book by saying you are kept as the church, you are reserved in God's love and he kind of concludes it by saying keep on keeping on, be reserved, reserve yourself in God's love and Press into the better, if you will, for the better, for worse. Press into the positive interplay of faith and function, the positive interplay of what you believe can inform the kind of life of what you want to do out of that. And so in the words of Jesus, we are kept for, or excuse me, in the words of Jude, we are kept, we are reserved for Christ Jesus, and Jesus gives us these words to assure us of this. He says, I give them, in Jude, or John 10, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch you or pluck them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And so as you hear that, it's, if you're honest, it's like, okay, wait, time out, Brian. Like you just warned us about how, how these heresies are evidence that we are separated from God, yet you read this passage about how we can never be separated from God. What gives? Well, correct in understanding that heresy in belief and behavior is evidence that if it applies to you, you do need to take an honest look at yourself as to whether or not you are kept in Christ. That if you have, by rejection or just indifference, not stepped into faith, as Jesus Christ, as your savior and forgiver of that sin, and then the Lord and the leader of your life, well, then that is a dangerous and destructive place to be. And I would implore you to change that today, to receive the word of God that has been planted from the word of God into your heart and to let that grow, to repent, which really means to turn from sin, to turn from wrong beliefs and wrong behaviors, receive his forgiveness, receive his forgiveness that we sing about all the time and then trust your life, not only a savior from your sin, but also trust him uh, in the keeping, 
the reservation of Christ uh, as the Lord of your life, the sovereign of your life, the leader of your life. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you recognize you've been indifferent and you've kind of tried to ride the fence and you see the deceitfulness of that heresy. But I recognize as I kind of wrestle through this that there is still probably another kind of person here among us. And that is, if it was you, you'd say, time out, Brian, I'm, I'm in. Like, Jesus as my Savior and Lord, like, I'm, I'm trying. Like, I'm, I want to follow him in every area of my life. But in all honesty, there is this sin that has overtaken me. And so my question to you, if we were sitting knee to knee, you know, eye to eye across the table, I would say, well, when it comes to that sin in your life, what's your response to it? Is it, eh, I mean, Jesus will forgive me anyway. You know, it's no big deal. Do you have this flippant response like sin is no big deal? Well, Paul reminds us in light of kind of the Jude stuff in Romans 6, he says, in light of this conversation, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Meaning, hey, the more we sin, the more forgiveness we get, right? And Paul says, by no means, like no way. We are those who have died to sin, so then how can we live in it any longer? It's a reflection of what Jude says. It says to, do, to act like that, to be like it's no big deal, Jesus will forgive me anyway, is to miss, and Jude 4, to pervert the grace of God. And you've been deceived. It is a license that you're using for immorality. However, if when it comes to your sin, you don't have a eh, whatever response, you have, um, you know, I, I wanna beat this, I wanna be forgiven of this, I wanna be freed of this, not just eternally, but in the actual functioning of my life, well then be encouraged. I love the way that Pastor BJ paints it with his Club 305 students. Um, he says it's like, you know, it's kind of like climbing a mountain, you know, following Jesus and, and getting after it. You know, there's some parts that are easy and there's some parts of that climb that can be really hard. And he says when it comes to the hard parts, like the sin that's very difficult for us in our lives, what is your position on that? Do you just kind of be like, eh, whatever, and just stop and kind of lay on the side of the mountain and give up? Or do you, as it says in Jude, do you contend? Do you fight? Do you get after it? Do you aim to beat and do whatever it takes to defeat sin and darkness in your life? Where it says in James that you can confess your sins one to another, that you can get help, that you can get support, that you have people praying for you, that you're getting after, you're contending for the faith in Christ, recognizing that it's not you that's doing it. That's the power. Paul says, he talks about this weakness he has, and he says, I've actually boasted my weakness. We can actually boast in our temptations when we understand that it's in our weakness, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, that in our weakness, Christ is made strong. In my weakness, his power is on display. As the old hymn goes, on the power of Christ, I stand up on that mountain and I press on. And so Jude in this heresy sandwich, he shows us. He shows us how to contend. He shows us how to fight. He shows us how to keep on keeping on up that mountain to stand in and move forward in the strength and the power of Christ. Look again, verse 20, because we can, verse 21, keep ourselves in God's love by it says, building yourselves up. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. And so Jude is writing again to the church. He's saying, build yourselves up. Build yourself into the fabric of the church. That's what the church is there for. As we say, we are here to develop or to, to be built up 
as devoted followers of Jesus Christ and you do that by growing together, by growing in his word and pressing into the faith together as well as living out that faith. You could say behaviors that stand on those beliefs by um, the way we serve and the way we give, uh, that that is being built up in the faith and that all of that is held together, it says, by prayer in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit, which prayer, that is, you could say, the operating system. It's the operating system of our functional, voluntary, verbal commitment to, verse 21, keep ourselves, to reserve ourselves within God's love. And so that's how we do this. We press into these kinds of things by faith rather than roll over on sin because of a lack of faith. We sin because of lack of faith, but we press on in being kept for Jesus Christ by pressing into the faith. It's there we choose righteousness. It's there that when we worship together by digging into God's word here and in groups and in student life or kids ministry uh, and classes and generosity and serving that we live this out as the church, as the church, verse 21, intentionally reserving ourselves in God's love. And so we do this and we do this till the day we die or even better said, verse 20, 21, until and as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, to bring you to eternal life. That is a picture of a new life, both in this life and yes, to be fully realized in eternity. And so to that end, I invite you to stand as I pray for all of us in this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we first off thank you for the truth that when we are yours, when we give ourselves to you, that we have the confidence that we are kept, that we are in reserve for you and you alone and that no one can pluck us from your hand. So God, we thank you for this. And Father, where we are missing that, God, for someone in this room or in the East Auditorium or in Lovington who realizes they have been deceived by this heresy, this false reality that you can somehow live in the middle, God. We thank you for the word of God that has been planted in that heart and was watered, but we give you thanks above all that it says in your word that it's only you that does the growing. And so God, I pray where that is the case today, that you would grow that heart towards you and that this day would be the day that marks a different day, that from this day forward, they know not themselves as the Lord, the leader of their lives, but they trust you fully as the Lord and leader of their life, not just for heaven someday, but because you actually functionally have, as we look at these sins and this darkness, that the way you've laid it out actually is the best way to live life. And so we thank you for showing us the good and the right way. God, for my brothers and sisters who, who have accepted you, they follow you, but they struggle with this area of sin in their life. Father, would you hear our confession? Uh, God, we, we're awakened to it. We want to fight the good fight, not in our own strength, but as your word promises, in our weakness in this area, you are made strong. And so God, help us to have the courage to confess that, uh, as it says in James, one to another, that we might receive healing and God, that we might uh, receive the gift of freedom from sin, not just an eternal punishment, but God, the actual functional freedom from that sin in the living of our lives so we might have the best life that you've laid out for us. We ask you to move our hearts and our lives, our beliefs and our behaviors, not at our own strength, God, and we'll never stop saying it, but 
by your power alone, the power of Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, we stand. It's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. Well, here in a moment, we're gonna have some folks here in the front of this room, the front of the East Auditorium, and in Lovington, who if today, as we've talked and we've looked at God's word and you've prayed, you say, yep, that's me. I have fallen for this middle ground about not really knowing where I land. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to sit there and just feel bad about it, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit brings about that opportunity to respond. And so don't leave here today without responding to taking that step of faith into God's lordship and leadership in your life, surrendering and trusting that he's got what's best for you, both in this life and the next. And so in any of these locations, there'd be someone here who'd be honored to pray with you about that. Or if maybe there's a sin in your life, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm getting after it, but I'm struggling and you need to confess and share that. I know that takes a ton of courage, uh, but there is healing, it says in God's word, in that confession one to another. And so get the help, get the support, um, get God's people around you to take those next steps. And even just with all of that, we recognize um, if you've been a part of the life of this church and you're kind of in the fabric of some certain families, it's been a really hard week um, for some things. Uh, we've had a really difficult week and I would suspect that that's just one of hundreds of difficult weeks and situations that you face or someone close to you faces. And so as always, um, if we can be praying about anything uh, in your life or a loved one's life, we'd be honored to lift that up to our good God who knows and hears and responds in any of those things. And so we invite you to the front of any of those rooms to pray with anyone about any of those things as we support those prayers by giving credit where credit is due in worship together. And so won't you come as we sing.